We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm all uh, I'm all refreshed after my little ski vacation. Oh yeah, that's right. You did. You activated mountain mode for Dude, a little it, while. How was it? It fucking rocked. It's cool. It was great. I I, I ski like it was the best skiing that I had done, and I don't mean that like in terms of like the resort and the like. It was really good in that way. <laughs> you but mean I mean like. You did a good job. Yes, in terms of my <laughs> skiing ability, which is no joke after, you know, when being when you're 47 and after recovering from a stroke and all sorts of fun stuff. So it was good to actually like feel athletic for for 2 days and then come home and then sit around with my dog again. Also, was uh, there a moment where you felt like a guy in with the old juicy fruit ads like you did a cool jump and like kicked your legs up? So like if you go down cuz I don't I don't fuck with like like I did a couple black diamonds, but like easy black diamonds. I didn't do like you could go all the way to the top of Big Sky and and ski down. And my friends did that, but that's like the backcountry shit where there's like there's like trees just hanging around and mm-hmm. like and like sheets of ice and like I don't do any of that. But like so like if I'm on like a green or a blue, like off to the side, there always be like someone will have carved out like a little jump. Like I'm, and I'm talking like a baby bump, like a sledding jump. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm like, ooh, now it's time for me to get extreme. And then I go over and I'm like, hee hee, and like get like <laughs> get like the one inch vertical. But I'm like, yeah, juicy fruit is gonna move me. That's pretty cool, man. That's great. That's I. I'm not gonna steer this conversation towards the big red ads. We don't need to talk about gum ads. We have a guest. We got to try to be normal. But I'm glad that you had fun out there. I don't know why you always say we have to be normal around a guest. If anything, we and should be why even... and me of all guests. Right. That's oh, I right. Picked the, I picked the wrong guest, and that, honestly, that's on me. That's my fault. Our guest is the impeccably named Ed Zitron, host of the Better Offline podcast, proprietor of the Where's Your Ed At newsletter, and possible Autobot. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing well, and I'm more of a Decepticon, but it is a cool. Wait, de- no, that's the bloke from The Ringer. It's Sorry, a great Decepticon name. <laughs> I would give you the Starscream voice, Citron. <laughs> well, there he is. That's very that's rare, good. Drew voice. Citron you almost- has fallen. <laughs> Zitron is full. That's a future Gerard Butler movie where he kicks the shit out of me. (laughs) Uh, Ed, I believe that you are our first authentically British guest. So congratulations to you for that. And, you know, while we're on that topic, I I have to ask, how's England doing? Are you all good over there? Every modernization of this country that I've seen being here a few days, I'm thankfully going back to Las Vegas next week. Well, actually, end of the week. uh, Everything is just, they've got, Uber Eats and Amazon is fast now. That's about it since I came back. It seems to be, there's a lot more casinos, just random casinos, which isn't great. I thought I left those behind in Vegas, but (laughs) apparently they follow me everywhere. But weren't casinos always in Europe? Like we, like we're new to the whole gambling thing or the legal gambling thing. I mean, but that's sure. that's old hat to Europe, isn't it? But it's it used to be there'd be like one that you'd see occasionally, and they'd be like a weird small shop. But I was on Edgware Road, and I saw one the other day. I saw some some the other night. Where was it the other night? I've seen at least three, and it's just very sad because. London is already very expensive. We don't need more ways for Londoners to have less money. Yet here we are, crapping up the place. It's and not our good normal casinos in Las Vegas where they're beautiful. Right. 
No, we have these sad little casinos. They are, I don't even think they have table games. What's the bloody point? Oh, yeah. If you yeah. Don't are they dep- so are they depressing, Ed? Or is it because I know that like every time I've seen a casino, like I know what Drew is referring to because we have the same idiotic reference points. This is what makes our podcast so powerful. Mm-hmm. Is that I'm thinking of like a place where like everybody's wearing like white blaze, like sort of where Clive Owen worked in Croupier, but mostly a place where like Bob Hoskins would get ushered out for being day class A in the 1980s. No, this, these look, now you can't see inside them from the street, but from what I've done, what I've seen on the Google is they look more like the casinos that you see in the Vegas airport where you're allowed to smoke. Oh, nice. so like, good. Like yeah. OTB energy is what you're saying. Yeah, but also... The weird thing about them is a lot of things in England close early, but not the casinos. They're 24-7. It's just things are, like useful things aren't really available here all the time. But don't worry, ways to burn cash in on slots of all things. Uh, slots. This is That's the powerful aspect of casinos is that like if it's working right, like if you're getting the right level of depressing casino experience, something like a third of the people in there not only never leave, but like maybe have never left. Like, they might have grown up in there like the old guys in the Unforgiven video from Metallica. They've just been in that room the entire time that they've been alive. Yeah, I thought about going inside one of them, but I don't want to cheat on my beautiful Vegas casinos. Yeah. I, uh, I, you mentioned the places close early in England, and I wanted to remember my time in England because I, I, I went to Oxford for a trimester back in 1997, and I remember... This was back when, and you can tell me if this has changed, uh, that the pubs would close at 11 p.m. And I, I, everyone bitched about it, particularly if you were an American. You were like, whoa, what? And, uh, and so by the time like 1045 struck, like all of us college kids would like rush over to like the bar and we'd order like two beers and two shots for like each of us, like to get as <laughs> drunk as humanly possible right. before 11 hit. Otherwise you'd remember you're in England. Right. Yeah. Then we would go to a club because clubs were allowed to stay open. There was one in Oxford literally called Downtown Manhattan Nightclub and was like <laughs> D, DMN. And, uh, and so you would go to the nightclub to throw up and then find someone to, <laughs> to fuck for the night. And it, was a, it wasn't a bad way to live. But I think, I think now that the pubs stay open like 15 minutes later? I don't know. Yeah, and there are random, there's like a a crepe and ice cream shop that's open until 3 a.m. that I've seen. It's just, this (laughs) country, I don't miss living here. I miss my family terribly, but everything else, I'm just like, ah, especially when you live in Las Vegas, which is like a giant vending machine. Everything's 15 to 20 minutes. If something is half an hour away in Vegas, it may as well be in Mordor. Here, right. everything is 15 minutes away. Like, you can't go anywhere. You might, whatever's around the corner you can walk to, but I don't know. I wouldn't walk around in London personally. But also, just there is a natural pain to living in London. And I appreciate it on some level. It's, it, I'd love to believe that it helped me in some way. But then again, I left when I was 22. So that probably says more than anything. Would, yeah. When you left, were you like, I need to leave this country? Or was it, uh, you know, like a professional sort of thing? Oh, I had to leave England. And I moved to Manhattan, which at 22, as a Londoner, is like living in a movie. I love New York a great deal. I wish I still lived there. And yeah, it. I just, England is slow. People complain all the time. He says complaining. And it's just, the weather is also uniquely awful here. It's The sun is currently shining, which is wow. a rarity. 
The one yeah, day a year. Congratulations. Even when it gets hot here, it's so humid. It's as bad, if not a little worse, than when I lived in North Carolina. <laughs> Truly bad weather is like people, you know, obviously we talk about the weather on this podcast. Drew and I basically talk about like lower back pain and how it's looking out the window for a lot of these episodes. Yeah. But the idea of like a London grade bad experience, I remember my wife was looking at graduate school in Syracuse at one point and I was looking at how many days of sun per year Syracuse, New York gets. And it's like 110. Yeah, I have I have never heard a single good thing about that town from people who went to Syracuse. They're, yeah, like, they're like, oh, you don't want to go to Syracuse. That town is ass. Yeah, I was ready to, they were like throwing the Carmelo Anthony scholarship package at her for graduate school too. And I was like, I could eat shit for a year. Like I could like not see the sun for a year. That'd be fine. Right. Get a, but wound up not happening. Uh, and I know that, you know, London... I don't know that 110, that's like a uniquely Western New York a quick, experience. A, a real quick Google says 126 sunny days in London, but I think that they're fudging the numbers a little bit. Yeah, because that's like, that, like if it's a if day you where you get like, sun. like, yeah, if you get like 10 minutes of sun, that counts as a sunny day, which is bullshit, you know? It's <laughs> and like, Vegas is the opposite. Whenever it rains there, it rains for like 15 minutes in the most intense, crazy way possible. And then you would not know it happened. It's beautiful sunshine. Perfect. Right. Perfect place, other than the things it does to people who can't control their urges. <laughs> Not you, though. You're normal. You've had a good time there. No, I, my addiction is staying at home, so it's perfect. Yep. I love you being did, alone also, at home. The way that you chose to blow money in Vegas was in one large block on a Raiders season ticket package, oh, which is God. healthier than just I like continuing to bet on black at the roulette table I'm, over and over again. I made a profit this year on selling those tickets, but this was the first year where I was just like, no, I'm not you doing this. Do it. Someone gave me like $1,200 for both tickets to the Packers, I think it was. And it's just Holy like, shit. I felt like Sam Bankman freed. <laughs> they won that game. The Raiders won that fucking game. Great. I mean, I like Antonio Pierce. I think he might actually be good for the team. I don't care if we're mediocre, at least if we can be fun mediocre. If there's yeah. the appearance of trying versus the Josh McDaniels yeah. genius mode, just entering the Patricia zone. Yeah, there's nothing engaging. that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't want, you don't want the miserable 7-10 and 10 record. You want the like the fun 7-10 and 10 record where you're, you're losing every game 35-30. That's way cooler. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I can feel like there's a chance versus losing 35-30, but it being because we scored in like the last quarter a few times because the defense was just like, there is not enough time for you to score enough points. We're just going to send in the send in the clowns. Uh, Ed, let's, uh, let's get to the, the reason we brought you on. You work in PR, but you also cover the tech industry. And you, like I me, reviewed, you reviewed the Apple Vision Pro as did I. Now, I came away from my demo. You get 30 minutes for free. I, When I got my demo, or when I took the demo, I was like, like, there were some things where, and you and I agreed, like, like computing on it is a waste of time. Like, I'm not going to use I, a... I'm I not going to use an invisible. I agree with that point, but I know what you're, I know what you're getting at. I, I wasn't going to I'm not going to use an invisible... I'm not going to write using an invisible keyboard and, like, do my work and all that stuff. But... No. <laughs> immersive photography and immersive home videos... Um, and particularly immersive sports. When I saw immersive footage of a lot of a basketball game, I was like, if this, if, if I can watch an NFL game this way live, it's over. Like this, yeah. like it, it, everything's going to change. Like, so, and I think that is, I think that's the intent. 
And obviously, because this is a first-generation product, you know, like the Apple Watch, when that first came out, people were like, whatever. And the AirPods, people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, they'll fall out of your ears. Both of them became dominant products. Right. But I don't think that you necessarily share that viewpoint. Do you agree? Is that is that correct? So I agree with you on the immersive entertainment stuff. So on the plane ride here, like a dickhead, I wore my Vision Pro watching Slow Horses with Gary Oldman. Slow Horses? And you what, I'm mate? Caught- Cut, right, you asshole. <laughs> you went full glass hole and wore it in public. I'm very, very... Uh, I was like, I, mean, I had oh. like a seat. I like turned my body to look away from people. <laughs> my fiance was next to me. So it's like, I don't think... I think it, no one threw anything at me. That was good. I love to pull out and, a $3,500 device and then be like, don't look at me. Then, yeah, trying to hide it like I'm a monster. <laughs> Were you in first class, Ed? Uh don't want to talk about that. That's confidential. <laughs> that's Ed Zitron information. Yeah, that's, that's, that's private information. Actually, um, I was in the cockpit. I was the pilot. <laughs> yeah, I, I was flying the plane, but I was watching it. And there was one problem, which was I felt myself getting like weird tension in my eyebrows while watching it, which is a big problem if sure. I don't know, you like not being in pain. But I did watch a few episodes because it was just annoying. And also watching the show was very cool. Just a giant screen in front of you. It looks great. I had my my earbuds and it was great. It was just, the entertainment on it is incredible. And when you actually plug in a keyboard, it's a great workspace. The problem on the plane, by the way, is it was very dark and the Vision Pro has absolutely no idea what to do when it's too dark. It just freaks out at you. It just turns the screen off at random if you move too much. Yeah, there are so many moments with it where I'm like, wow, this is so cool. It's too expensive. It's kind of wonky, but it's cool. Watching stuff on this is better than watching it on TV. Yes. Unless, of course, there are other people there, and then it's very strange. <laughs> but every time I start getting excited about it, because I've written a lot on it, like it's really, it's really good for writing if you're using a, a, like a Bluetooth keyboard, like the Magic Keyboard. And um, the problem is that things keep going wrong with it. It will select the wrong thing. It will turn the screen off because it's too dark. It will, when it's dark as well, sometimes it doesn't know how to line up the screen. So the screen will be just like, like it'll just be like somewhat on its side, like it's drunk. And this is the thing. It is version one software. Yep. But it's also 0.5 software. It's very, there are so many things where you're like, did you not fucking test this in the dark? Did you not try and use Google Docs? Like, if you try and use Google Docs, you you have a lot of trouble making your eyes select the title. You know, the title of a piece of software used by billions of people. They just didn't check it. There's so many things like that. And I just don't... Well, I know why they shoved it out, because they could. They're Apple. They don't give a rat fuck. They just push things out because they can. But it's so frustrating because when it works, and that is a load-bearing when, it's great. It's really interesting. It's too expensive, just to be clear, but you use it and you're like, oh shit, this is really immersive. And like you said, watching sports in it would be amazing. I really would love to. It's just so early and it's too early to have released. It's lazy in so many ways. So that's something I wanted to ask both of you about is why – it's cool that it is as good as it is. Why is it something that people can use if there's so much shit broken on it now? Like what's the – both of you presumably know more about this than me. What's the calculation don't, in putting out something that. that's three quarters of the way? Well, you've had it on your face, you know, and like Ed's written about this stuff for years. Like, is this a, a mistake or is this just sort of what you're going to do now? Like you release, I mean, I know that like 
OpenAI and all that shit is putting out products that don't work, but also they don't know what they're doing. This is a product that like it seems like it well, actually is cool and works, and yet right. like why is it there? I, first of all, I believe OpenAI knows exactly what they're doing. They know they can force this broken shit on people. They love doing that. That's the Silicon Valley way. Ship it broken, hope it gets fixed in the future, hope enough people buy it to make it worth it. The Vision Pro, I believe, is profitable. I think it's because, and I've written a lot about this, the whole growth at all costs economy, rot economy I've said before, Apple just needed to show that they had something new to investors. Okay. Investors were going to be like, you, you haven't invented a new thing in a while. Yeah, where's the, the fucking car? Is, Pretty much. It's Apple is insanely profitable. They have like two hundred and something billion dollars in cash. They own oh, just like the me. tech ecosystem. Yeah, it, as we all do. And a successful blogger can say as much. And it's you look at it and you're like, how could they do this to people? And the answer is they don't really care. They had the broken butterfly keyboards for years on the MacBook Pro until Joanna Stern at the journal lost it with them. I think the they just knew that they could do this, and they needed to please the street more than they needed to deliver a product. Steve Jobs was a sociopath, an awful, awful guy, doing an episode of Behind the Bastards on him soon. And nevertheless, he didn't release stuff broken. He'd do the you're not holding it right thing, but this thing is a level of broken that is very obvious the moment you use it. And when I first got it, I know, Drew, you've done a demo with it. I've had easily 25 hours with it now. You, and- you, own, you own one. Yes, I do. Okay. And because I did my better offline review of it. Yeah. And here's the thing with it it's so obviously off from the moment you put it on. And it's so ridiculous. You buy this thing, you have to scan your face to get the size right of the, the light screen on it. And what's crazy is they got that wrong the first time. I had to buy a new light screen and it was $300. And I can't find people on Reddit claim that you can go and swap them. I don't know. I didn't have, I had, I will, I've returned one thing. I bought an extra headband that I returned, but if Apple gets the sizing wrong, which they did with me, you have to just pay to fix it. Maybe you can change it. I don't know. I don't know. And Apple does not have any helpful media on apple.com, their own website, to tell you this thing. And then you get into it and you try and find an app you like. Signal, for example. Load up Signal, because it apparently has access to over a million iPad apps. Load up Signal, and it asks you to scan a QR code on your phone. Now, how the hell do you do that on a on a Vision Pro? <laughs> well, the answer really is you have, to, you have to airplay what you're seeing on your Vision Pro to your television and scan that QR code with your phone. And this is Signal. Incredibly popular app they advertised i believe that slack would be on it slack is not on it the slack ipad app is on there they just half-assed this thing and i think that they knew they could and even with the reporters that have been fairly critical of it the problem is reviewing something like this is on one hand it's broken in all of these ways on the other hand there are moments like drew and i have where you're like oh my god this is actually really great and I actually got a lot of flack for my review on my newsletter and Better Offline because people were like, oh, yeah, you just went in there wanting to hate it. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, what do you want me to do? You want me to just be like, yeah, it's $3,500. People could just crack that out of their wallets. No, something like this, I feel like the press has a duty to kind of crap on it. I don't mean be negative for no reason, but just you have to rip it open. If you put something that costs more than many people's mortgages or monthly rent and it doesn't work and it doesn't have half of these things. And it randomly, I multiple times I've taken it off and put it on again and I've had to reset it just broken all the way down. And there's not been any software updates I see other than the first day. 
there's a couple of things. One is that I you have more experience with uh, the equipment than I have. I only had 30 minutes, so I didn't have you know I didn't have to I didn't get to live with it right and and go through the consequences of living with it. However, I I know you said it was sort of broken and they just pushed it out, but the amount of work that goes into what does work on it, I I felt. I didn't feel it. I knew it. It was unprecedented, right? Like in terms of how it, um, you know, how it, uh, you know, how it senses your, your, your hands, you know, even if they're out of line, how you able to, you know, place windows in one room and then walk into another room and then come back and, and your, the window, you, you know, the browser window you put is still there. Like these are lots of, there's a lot of thought and a lot of innovation in there and a lot of care. And I don't know that it was I don't know that it was ill intentions that had them put it out so much as look we have the base product and we know that we're going to make it better the same way we made iPods better the same way we made iPhones better the same way we made Apple Watches better and the applications of it in terms of uh flight simulation in terms of you know frankly bereavement you know if you lose somebody and you can take a home video that's three-dimensional, that's like reliving that scene of your life with that person. All of that struck me as remarkably valuable and almost worth the initial bugginess because I think I think Apple I, I think Apple has a track record of improving their products based upon how they work or, or don't work with people. But you wrote uh in one of your uh posts about Vision Pro. Ed, you wrote, I fundamentally believe that Apple, like many tech companies, has become disconnected from the average person. Can you explain that? Well, I think the place to start is when you say Apple improves their products, what you're saying is Apple improves future generations of their products. Correct. And I agree with you that all of this stuff is innovative and it's really cool. At the same time, $3,500 is more than a MacBook Air and a brand new top-of-the-line iPhone. I'm pretty sure you could get a top-of-the-line MacBook Air for that. And then you'd have enough money to hit up Peter Luger. And (laughs) I think when you think about it without the cost associated, which I get why you would do in the case of doing a demo, yeah, sure. But when you look at the raw price, it is completely disgraceful for a company of this size to try and sell this thing in the state it's in. And I think that at that cost, it is disgraceful i think it's only something they did to try and get this out into the market to get developer attention to get investors to think that apple's still got their fastball and the reality is if they wanted to do that they should have released this as a developer kit had they said the vision pro is a developer kit had they said we will be doing a limited rollout for a year or two whatever something responsible perhaps had they launched it with more apps had they launched it without these glaring obvious bugs that they're yet to fix. I'd agree with you. I just think that when you are asking people to spend what fourth probably four thousand dollars with accessories and Yeah, such, what yeah, it's it's it's, it's over four so grand much. once you it's yeah. so much. And Apple isn't going to improve the current Vision Pro enough to fix like maybe they can fix these bugs, but they certainly haven't talked about them. They haven't really communicated this. They'll fix future Vision Pros, but they're not going to do any meaningful trading program. You'll get, what, like a third of the price if you're lucky? And so that is my core problem. This is a problem I've had going back to when I used to review video games. 
as a reviewer, sometimes you look at things and say, well, this is really good, and you kind of view it in the bubble of my just my experience. But you need to think, in the case of video games, for example, people buy one game a year, maybe two. People buying this Vision Pro will likely have saved up for it, have put real money into it, and now they get this thing that's kind of broken and doesn't do anything better than anything else other than the entertainment stuff. It's just very frustrating, As and to kind of finish off what I'm saying, the other frustration I have is, the product is getting there. Had they let this thing bake a little more and really paid attention to the app ecosystem and tried it in more than one scenario, this could have been really cool. Also, it should be like $1,000 cheaper at least, maybe even 2000 ish They should have waited. They should have waited. It's yet more proof that innovation is reserved for the wealthy and the affluent. Yeah. This is actually, I'm, we're, we're coming up on the break, so I don't want to like, I'll, I'll tease this. You don't have to answer it right now, but this is interesting to me because like it it fits into one of the sort of Ed Zitron signature critiques, which is something that coincidentally or not, Drew and I have been talking about a lot the last few weeks on the podcast, which is the idea of doing like the idea of this being done to appease Wall Street investors as which we talk about as this sort of like faceless class of highly distractible highly demanding rich people, which I guess they are, more or less. Yeah. This is an incredibly profitable, incredibly successful company, like probably, you know, in its way as successful as any company could be. And they still needed to get out there and do this stupid little dance with their weird broken luxury product in order to make the number go up for these guys, even though it is like I mean, I think not to to overstate it, but as as Ed was saying, like actively hostile in a lot of ways to a lot of the people that will pay the money for this sort of thing. They're going to get ripped off. They're not. It's not purely that they're buying it for tech. They're buying it because they want to be first and they want to mess around with it, and that's reasonable. Yeah, steps. But they're selling a semi broken product at a luxury price and to seven hundred million dollars off of it. Right, to their most loyal customers. So this is, if you're running a normal business, like if you run a hot dog stand and you get a hot dog that has a USB port in it, but also when you eat it, you makes you get, I guess we'll say turbo diarrhea, just for the purposes of argumentation here. If you sold somebody that goes to your hot dog stand all the time, that hot dog, and they got turbo diarrhea, they would be mad at you. Yeah. And they would be right to be mad at you. And the fact that it has a USB-C port doesn't necessarily make the hot dog better. But if the second generation hot dog was delicious. Exactly that. So this is the thing that I think that the thing that I think Ed has made as a point that has really been instructive to me is the decoupling of the demands of Wall Street and the demands of the consumer. That basically pleasing both of those at the same time right now is somehow out of fashion. And that to please Wall Street, you increasingly have to not just like not serve the customer properly, but antagonize them. Or make or make things that are symbolically valuable that may help the customer, but for the most part just abuse them. Right. Which is, uh, I don't like that personally. Me neither. Before I get to the fake ad, I do want to clarify that, you know, we talk about Wall Street. When we talk about Wall Street, we usually talk about it in terms of, you know, it's a stand-in for uh, extremely Wait. rich investors, right? Hedge fund managers, hedge fund clients, um, you know, people people who have a significant amount of money tied up uh, in that market. However, um, it's my belief that everyone has skin 
in that case. A lot of people are asking, like entire pension funds are in the market. Sure. Uh, 401ks, index markets. Like, you know, you most people don't get pensions anymore. They have a 401k and that almost always gets diverted into the stock market. So when you talk about the demands of Wall Street, you're not just talking about the demands of billionaires and multimillionaires. You are talking about people who have their life savings in the market. It's not a substantial amount, but they need it to go up. And uh, when it doesn't go up, they're, you know, there's unhappy if not unhappier than Robert Kraft or, you know, anybody like that, you know? So I think that it is a problem that goes beyond, I think it's more widespread than just 1% of people fucking the rest of us over. I think it's that we've all sort of bought in. And I, I don't like using the wild world we there. Cause I know that uh, the amount, I, I, number of people have stock is, is, is not, I disagree it's not 80% fundamentally because the markets right now are engineered to grow at all costs. They're engineered to the re- companies don't make things abusive and bad because they want to hurt people. They do it because they need to show the markets that they're growing by double digit percentages every month. The markets do not have to function like this. The markets do not have to function in this idiotic way. And the reason they do is because they're allowed to. That companies are rewarded for burning and churning, for laying off tens of thousands of people like Google does, or giving Sundar Pichai $280 million. They're rewarded for this. Us, I do not think that the retail investors outnumber the amount of people screwed by the fact that major media outlets are being destroyed, yeah. or that Google isn't showing good results, or that Facebook isn't showing you pictures or information from your family. I don't think that balance is there. And I don't think... There's any way to square that circle. I just don't think that, that that enough people are benefiting at all. But also, I'm not sure I want to live in a world where things have to be worse so that people that have the opportunity to buy stock can be happier. Right. That's the bit that I, I would want to underline as like the bridge between – because I think there's – there's points of correctness in both of what you're saying. It's just that yeah. it's the we live in a society aspect, you know? That there's like investors and consumers are the same people. But I understand, Drew, that your point is that people have money and pensions. I want to keep talking about this, but we have to take a break. Uh, before we catch the break, this week's episode is brought to you by England, the country. England, <laughs> it's jolly good. Okay, we'll be right back with Ed <laughs> Citron. <laughs> Great. Hey, it's Drew, and this episode of The Distraction is brought to you by Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. And now you can fully customize your Wild Grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And that's good for me, because I got their cookies baked from frozen. And that was a good cookie. I was I was very, very impressed with the wild grain cookie. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction. That's wildgrain.com slash distraction. Or you can use the promo code distraction at checkout. The Distraction is sponsored by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. 
You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. There's two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. There's snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. It's flexible to fit your schedule as well. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So head to factormeals.com slash distraction50 and use code distraction50 to get 50% off. That's code distraction50 at factormeals.com slash distraction50 to get 50% off. And we're back with Ed Zitron, uh, who's talking to us about tech. And we, I wanted to go on from what we talked about in the last segment to talk about, I, I think you, Ed, I think you and me and Roth were aligned in believing that the tech world has essentially forsaken true innovation in favor of basic profit growth. And we, I think we know how it came to that because everybody wants to make money. But more important, I want to ask you, do you see exceptions to this or do you see solutions to this? Outside of like, you know, burn it all down right. and revolution. Guillotines. Blah, blah, blah. That's, yeah. everybody, that's everybody understood, understands that guillotines would work. Yeah, I mean, not we're not going to be able to execute Elon Musk and I, you know, I that's unfortunate. Disagree, disagree someone would fill the hole until we fix the problem. Yep. So, I could easily execute Elon so Musk. So the thing is, <laughs> you say profit and I say not always. OpenAI burns money. They make like a, over a billion dollars. They are not profitable. Anthropic AI, same deal. These companies are not always profitable. Like Google, Facebook, all them, they're profitable. But the only way to reverse this trend is for the markets to turn against them, which I'm afraid is only going to happen if the party stops. If something happens like Facebook's business model collapses, sorry, Meta, most of that, like over 90% of their revenue comes from online ads, from selling ads on Facebook and Instagram. And the only way to keep growing that is to make those platforms worse to use. At some point, because of ad tracking ending on iOS, where you have to opt in now, the EU opting out, you have to force, people have to have the option to opt out. It needs to be big and obvious. This party is going to end. And what's going to have to happen is one of these companies is going to have to die. One of these companies is going to have to really shit the bed, or multiple companies are, when the party kind of stops on the growth at all cost economy. Because right now the markets are rewarding them. And you're seeing kind of a change in startups doing my day job running a PR firm. And you can really see that there are a lot of startups having this crazy idea that I've had many times over, where it's, what if you made more money than you spent? And that doesn't sound this practical. innovative Whoa. idea is big. I know. I, I think they're crazy. But it's, I even saw it when I was growing my firm. People are like, when are you going to scale? When are you going to have 20 people? I'm like, why would I have 20 people? 
Why would I do that? Is the work going to be better? And they're like, oh, well, you need to be bigger. And I think that this is actually a societal problem. I think we, as a society, we've lionized big business as good business. That a small business is incapable of doing the things of a big business. And perhaps that's true. Perhaps it is. But also, big businesses can be sustainable too. Costco. Costco's a fairly profitable. They treat their people well. They've kept the hot dog price low, which is a classic move <laughs> on their, so important. their part. These, but there are so many obvious examples of where this is making things worse that I'm hoping that eventually it just changes because the world turns against it. Look at baseball. It's completely insane that you can run a sports team poorly, getting crap players and playing poorly, and you can still make an insane amount of money. That feels bad. That does not feel like a good way to run something. And I'm... My personal thing is in my small way and it is very small advocating for this kind of society is something i think will change things i think as people become more aware of these massive layoffs and these big executives destroying things like vice and the way in which they destroy them i think you are going to see people being more aware of this and creating more things like defector like aftermath in the case of the media it's just frustrating because the big tech companies are just getting so rich off of this. And right now they're profitable, but things will eventually change. You'll notice uh, about a year ago, beginning of 2023, Mark Zuckerberg said that that was the year of efficiency. To be clear, Facebook is not a particularly efficient business. They still have no. insane amounts of people. They still treat their customers terribly because they have they conflate efficiency with sustainability. In its current form, Facebook will die. People need to realize that. They will run out of people in the world to join the platform. Their advertising will become less effective because they can't use cookies to track people anymore. There is a way this all ends, and it's very bad, and it can be stopped by these companies changing their ways. They won't, though. But then the new generation might. It does feel... I think that that's something that I've felt... You know, you mentioned a little bit about media, and I obviously that's a thing that, that Drew and I think and talk about. Well, lot. yeah, because this is actually all... Because as in PR, this was all actually surreptitiously an ad for Defector. So thank yes. you, Ed, for com being yep. complicit. It's, it's everywhere work, you want to be. Yeah, go, yeah, uh, anyway, but, go ahead, Rob. But I, what I mean by that is that like there's this sense that because of how much money is still kind of like like dead stupid money is like sitting around in institutions like that that like vice you know has completed nearly this entire cycle of you know what it is to like grow and then shrink but what's left they fired all the people that make this stuff and what's left is a friend who used to work there joked when you know as they were at the end he was like, they're going to fire everybody. It's just going to be 20 executives doing TikToks. Like, that's what Vice is going to turn into. And I think it's like, it is the executives that are the last ones there. They have a lot invested in, and they get paid more than anybody else. It doesn't necessarily matter because they're t dealing with their own cohort and speaking their own sort of language within that group. It doesn't really matter if they do a good job anymore one way or the other. There's a lot of questions about what a good job even is. And so... The idea of one of those people waking up one morning and being like, I think we should try to run this as a sustainable, profitable business, a modestly profitable thing that could go on indefinitely. You'll find Making good work. They just, but they won't fucking do that. Like they will go to zero instead of doing that. Well, and that is a, a really hard thing to sort of, if you're not just if you're running a business like Defector, but if you're like a fucking normal person that does your own books in your own life, 
the idea of being like, no, I'm going to like default on all of my credit cards. I'm going to max them out, default, change my identity. Like, and it will be ooh. fine. Yes. Like that is not but, the way but this is. The, this is think. why people are so fucking depressed because you're right. If you ran your life like Corey Hike, who's the chief operating officer of Vice, and I'm we naming her because she's a fucking scumbag <laughs> and I don't give a rat fuck. She ran Mike.com into the ground. She did an op-ed on Vox.com about how the future of journalism is video and then ran Mike into the ground, losing, what, over 100 people their job. With Vice, Vice took on tons of debt. Vice choked out the actual journalism. They took on this insane thing where they guaranteed dividends to investors. And on top of that, they deprioritize journalism, the thing that gives Vice its right. value. The it's product. the same thing that happened the, with Sports uh, the Illustrated. The item for sale. <laughs> but the thing is, people are getting depressed about the world because of this effect, because of the growth of all costs economy. Because they look at their own lives, like you said, and they say, I can't run my life like this. I can't go bigger and bigger and bigger. I can't do that. That doesn't work. Why are there different rules for people than there are corporations and no one has a cogent answer because there isn't one other than there is a it's not a coterie but there's millions of just insanely wealthy people who are able to dick around and destroy things in the process the actual thing that will change this will be the new entities that step in to replace it i don't think anyone should be scared of everything ending but i think that there is going to be and we're in a period of upheaval it's just disgraceful that these people are getting rich while they do it they should be run out of town with pitchforks and i don't mean pitchfork media which was also shut down Forks. it's a fucking joke <laughs> Found i give that it, one I give, on the way to it i um, give the shuddering just, of pitchfork 0.2 and it's just none of these things actually need to happen in both vice and pitchforks and even sports illustrated's case they could have just given it or run it sustainably and made a modest profit, probably not even that modest, by giving it to the very smart people that wrote there. They could have just handed it off, but the maven turned Sports Illustrated into the shittiest version of SB Nation since SB Nation. And it was incredible. They Everything that happened with Sports Illustrated was based on the idea that they could monetize the brand. Did they think about it for a second? Huh, why is Sports Illustrated a good brand? Right. Well, why because is we this bought brand it for valuable? $100 million. Ah, very angry about this stuff. You know, when I, I, when I first brought it up with you, uh, when we came in from the break, you know, I, I said profit growth and you said, you, you know, you're wrong. A lot of these, a lot of these places aren't, aren't profitable. And, you know, I should have been clear because I think it's not at some point, And I think this is an evolution. It went from not corporate profit growth. That was the priority, but individual profit growth within the corporation. Right. So if I, if I'm Jamie Salter and I own Sports Illustrated, well, I don't really give a fuck if the company profits. I only give a fuck if I get my $50 million bonus at the end of the year for fucking over yes. the company. And the solution in my mind is not necessarily, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a sort of, you know, the masses rising up in some sort of consumer revolution or, or something like that. But I think it's law, right? It's, yeah, we need to have, uh, better regulations in place that I think, you know, Elizabeth Warren has been stumping for for the entirety of her career um, that, you know, essentially make it illegal to run a business this way. Because if, if, if it's never illegal, it'll just keep happening. It's another issue with the money, though, that, like, it's so cheap 
to keep things from happening at a national level politically. When you consider how much money these people can waste on a Super Bowl party, that's enough money in campaign donations to make sure that what you said never happens. I agree that legislation is the only way that so much of what you look at this stuff happening, the first question that springs to my mind always, and I'm not new to any of this, is how the fuck could this possibly be legal? Right. And, and the I answer th- is just, you know, we know the answer to that. Which I, is just, I don't it think is. it always was legal. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it, it wasn't. Was. I think you're right. But I think it was legal, but I'm, I'm sure that there was a point when all of this changed. But the real thing we need here is strong labor laws, because one of the important parts of destroying companies like this is being able to fire everyone instantly or yeah. large chunks of them instantly. If we had European style laws where it was just a complete nightmare to fire them, it would stop things like Vice happening, perhaps. Google, they spent a billion dollars on firing people last I year, I couldn't think. believe that shit, dude. I read that Would in you your newsletter. There? Billions it's of dollars just... in severance. And it's just, yeah, they can do that. And you know what? I, whatever. It's it's good that they were made to pay, but at the same time, I don't know, make it a percentage. If you have yeah. to, as a corporation over a certain size, lay off more than 70 50% of your staff. I don't know. You have to do, if you have to do that, you have to incur an actual percentage-based penalty. It should not be something like that, but also there should be penalties for running a business of a certain scale badly. But because we've got so many ah, no big government people right. like ah, we yeah. we need to have the right to fuck people over every time. None of these people, Corey Ike's going to be fine. I mean, she was she was she ran Mike into the ground. She is the poster child for Pivot to Video and the damage that did, that destroyed chunks of the New York media scene. And she, Mike, at one point, was amazing. The reason I'm so annoyed about this is this is the second major outlet where I've seen good journalism buzzsawed by people who don't know how to run a business. They, they could have, they made like a billion dollars in revenue or something insane like that. At no point up to a billion dollars did they think, maybe we could, I don't know, what if we made more money than we spent. And they're like, no, 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 we must scale. We must, we must scale. And the comment you made about executives doing TikTok, that's what's going to happen, but it's not going to be the executives. Don't worry. They will not be doing any of the actual work. I don't know. In my kind of insane society, I would want it so that if you run a, an outlet like that, you have to write, you have to have a certain amount of, there has to be something that gives you the fundament to run something like this. One of the reasons I like Defector is you all actually write. You actually yeah. create things. You understand the editorial process. So many of these executives, and this is the bigger labor problem, so many executives don't do anything. There's like, I've written about this on Business Insider a few times. It's, they can't describe what they do on a daily basis. They're like, yeah, 25% of it is meetings and 55% is strategy. 20% that's tactics same that's and honestly that's a perfect balance in my opinion but i think you're exactly right that there is this like it's that at that level the way that power sort of expresses itself is effective like with an a like it is through affect it is through like yeah. a series of gestures that indicate leadership up to and including laying people off, you know, and writing these letters about like, you know, we need to put ourselves in a position to succeed due to economic headwinds, blah. I mean, it's like procedural text generated, you know, stuff like it doesn't necessarily have any, any substance to it, but that's the part that I have the hardest. And you've, um, 
So Ed has written for me at different platforms, including when I was at Vice, but at Deadspin as well. Uh, not about tech, but about his travels among the very, very rich people at NFL games and other sporting events. And I want you to talk about that in a moment, but I, there's one bit about these people that I maybe I hope you could explain to me either as somebody that writes about it or as somebody who has um, shuffled through a shrimp buffet with them at <laughs> uh, Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. I think that there is an element of um, not even personal animus, because I don't think that Corey Hike really thinks very much about the people that worked for her advice, like the journalists. Like, they don't necessarily register. They're NPCs. You can't, because then you wouldn't be able to do what you did to them. Exactly. You wouldn't be able to get out of fucking bed in the morning because right. of how guilty you would feel. They but should, I, think I actually think that that's a good thing. They should have to take a phone call with 20% of the people they laid off for half an hour each. Yeah, just <laughs> listen to them get... Like describe their experience. I remember when we it's were like the serial killer at the sentencing has to like he has to hear yeah the witness statements impact from the statements. Families. Yeah, we did that when we were organizing advice. When we were so that was part of the. I mean, it wasn't like a tactic in negotiation, but we organized that newsroom when I was working there with Writers Guild of America. And part of what we had to do was when there were there was always like one exec and somebody that was running the it was usually some sort of like type A person that had been brought in from outside the organization to act as a sort of a shit shield between the CEOs and the founders and and the workers and we just talked about what our actual lives were like given the demands of the work and how much we were getting paid. And there's people that were like, I get paid $40,000 a week. Like I have to work 60 hours a week. They're calling me in on Sundays to like fucking hold a light at a photo shoot. That's not my job. I don't get paid extra. They wouldn't let me eat off the catering table, blah, blah, blah. And it, you could see that this was like the first time that any of these executives had ever not just encountered the idea of how uncomfortable the people that were working for them were, but encountered the idea of people working for them as people who like also had to eat lunch and like use the bathroom. I think that there's the abstraction of these rich people. This is me winding up towards the actual question. <laughs> <laughs> that the is there any way to sort of penetrate that? Because you can see at this point, if you're spending a billion dollars on severance or if you're doing, I always come back to Boeing with all the work that they did just because they didn't want to make shit in union factories. They made their product worse and it's less efficient. Is there any way to communicate that it does not have to be bad business to run a decently humane workplace or is there so much invested politically culturally whatever in this class that they will never get that idea through their heads i realize blogging saying blogging is advocacy is not really accurate or good uh i do think that as people regular people are more aware of this and as these big stupid things keep happening the business press and major papers will begin to move against them. You saw it kind of with the work from home fight where they were like incredulously telling you, yeah, you need to come into the office for no reason. But now you're I actually, actually happier when you do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's better for you. I know this because I'm never in the office. But I think what a lot of these people saw is they've lost millions of dollars on real estate and people still aren't coming in. Mm -hmm. So. I think you might actually see a shift, it's going to take a while, against these types of businesses as just consumer sentiment turns against it. I don't think it will affect 
everything, but when we have our next financial crash, I don't know when the hell that's coming. I think we might be in a boom town for a bit, and then the shit will really hit the fan when this rot economy kind of falls apart. Yeah, but the boom, yeah, baby. Oh, but yeah. The boom, oh, yeah. But the boom that Fucking never seems rocks. to make it to normal people. Just like Bitcoin heads and retail investors. And even then, you ever notice that it's not regular people that are like making a ton of money off of this? It's always... Anyway, I think that as consumer awareness grows with this and as the business press sours on this kind of growth at all cost model, I think we will see a change. Sadly, what I think is going to cause this is the AI companies collapsing. OpenAI is a ticking time bomb. They do not make money. The server costs cost too much, and they everyone's don't putting have an a AI in everything. <laughs> yeah, they have not come up with a, a product that has a practical application that people want to use. Does if I go to Chat GPT, will it talk dirty to me though? Maybe I don't know. I I don't have any real reason to use it. It's just kind of like here we go. Here's the thing. But I, I think also it think that Drew, which is weird because I, I think I that that's like one of the applications. The same thing with like the Vision Pro, where it's like just enable pornography on there, and then you're making money. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it all comes back to porn. There's there's zero doubt about. It. But the thing is, I this whole problem deeply bothers me, as you know, because I write thousands of words at it for no reason, and it frustrates me. But I have hope because people are. The response I get from what I'm saying is everyone kind of feels this way. This is a growing sentiment. This will change. As we watch the world's most quirked up white boys lose billions of dollars, referring, <laughs> of course, to Sam Altman, Elon Musk, and Mark Zuckerberg. Extremely Elon Musk up. actually, I think, is going to help this more than anything because Tesla will fall. Elon will fall. He's also, from what the Wall Street Journal says, abusing his body with drugs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what the journalist said. Please don't sue. You, you, you can and, say that here. He's, no, but nevertheless, I think people are seeing how much of a fool Elon Musk is, and that helps as well. And they're seeing these companies lay off people, and consumers are so aware of how this is happening. And I think that when the next crash happens, the result will be we'll lose one of the big tech companies, and we will see a rebirth of better companies. If we don't, we're just going to have a repeated cycle of boom and bust, until consumers just fucking rise up. People are getting blackpilled off of this entire thing. People are aware. Young people are depressed and lost. They have no idea where to turn. Because big assholes get away with murder, literally and figuratively, Boeing versus otherwise, and nothing happens to them. They're able to run their lives unsustainably, as the government and some journalists and executives say, well, you just need to work harder. That's how you make more money. It's becoming obvious that working hard is not what got them there. And I think the only other choice is people are going to get radicalized. People are going to get deeply dark over this. If you want to know what the actual result of this is, that's one of them. Can I really believe that, Ed, when I see Bob Marley One Love make a significant profit at the box office? <laughs> I, no, I think, actually, you know the one that really got me? People like dog was, shit. No, the do, well, the documentary about the guy who invented Flaming Hot Cheetos. Yeah, that's just not real. It's just yeah, a complete it's lie. <laughs> it's just a complete fucking lie. Yeah. They didn't pull it. They just ran it. It's it's on Hulu today. Just 
They're laughing at us. That's what people feel like. They are laughing at us. I love the idea of Elon as that every time he uh, just blows a huge rail of some powder, we don't know what it is, and I'm not speculating. Cocaine. And gets, You're talking about cocaine. Cocaine. It could be cocaine. Cocaine laced with Adderall. Gets on Twitter and ats the president of IBM with a message that's basically, how do you open PDF? Like, when, when, every time that happens, the idea that he's somehow striking a blow against his own class is an idea that I find very appealing. And I just want to, to be believe- clear, he texted Sachin Nadella because something didn't work with Outlook. I th- oh, he couldn't set up a Windows PC without His giving- gaming PC. It's yeah. so fucking funny. Like, he, come he on, rocks. man. I mean, I do hope he dies, but he rocks. He's, <laughs> very, he's a very funny character to have in the culture. <laughs> uh, we should open the fun bag, but we do have to talk about sports for a second. And I just wanted to say, Ed, that Peter King retired on Monday. I want to ask you, Ed, what's your favorite Peter King memory? I don't know who that is, so... Perfect. You know what? That's a perfect answer. I think that's great. (laughs) Uh, Time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from Defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for one, Ed. This is from Todd. Todd writes in, My wife confessed that she never puts soap in and around her toes or under her feet. She assumes the soap running down does the trick. She's also worried that the soap will make her feet slippery and that she'll fall in the shower. So I'm curious, what's your perspective? Is my wife more efficient with her shower time, or are her feet just gross? Now, Roth and I have had this discussion with Tyler Tynes about legs, about washing your legs in the shower, but what about the feet, particularly the bottoms of your feet? Yes, what about the feeties, Ed? What about the feeties? Well, we love our feet, don't we, folks? We do, we and, do love them. They're beautiful. But just to be clear, if if her logic is that the soap would make her feet slippery, what does she think the water's doing? There's water. Mm. Your, your, your feet are not just perfectly flat seals against... It's not like you suction cup on. I think that perhaps you don't have to do it every time. You should probably do it like a couple times a week just to make sure, especially on particularly sweaty days. Like I, yeah, I think I would, I would wash, wash those bad boys, much like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. Really fucked that one up. It's time for me to vehemently disagree with you because wall water can make things slick. A shower, particularly if it has the industrial grade sand strips, uh, you know, as you would get in a hotel, uh, the surface of the of the shower is no slip even if you are wet. It's designed to be that way. However, I have tried washing the bottom of my feet on a few occasions with soap, and it has indeed cost me traction and made me very, very afraid that I would slip and bump my head. And so I do not wash the bottoms of my feet every day because I don't want to have another accident. And that, my friend, is a fact. It's a fact. You, okay. I don't want you to deny it yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to your house with soap on your feet. I'm gonna fucking wash <laughs> well, your feet, big boy. Yeah. Whoa, that's kind of that. hot. I need yeah, open AI to to give me the full. Uh, this is so Drew's official position now is will wash the bottom of his feet. Does not bother to wash his legs. No, I do wash my so legs now. Okay, good. All right, I wash my. Leg. I realized were, I told were you Tyler like Tynes, shamed into it by that podcast. No, it was that I. <laughs> Did it without realizing that I did it? Does that make sense? Like, it's yeah. just, it was just sort of automatic. I was like, oh, I actually am washing my feet. Or I am washing my legs. The feet, though, like, I have to have, like, stepped in manure or, you know, yeah. blood, as I did last week. In the shower? No, no, no. Before getting in the goddamn shower. You know, I didn't kill someone in the shower. You don't do that. You kill them out in the open. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> You know, Elon Musk, I'm not killing him in my shower. I'm killing him in my front yard. You know, it's easy. I would love Elon to answer this question. Just be like, 
Well, actually, the wokes are the reason that you'd, you would be washing your feet. And he's just trying to hide the fact that he has a little man wash him. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wash normally. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know how people shower. And I want a journalist actually to ask Elon Musk how he showers because I really, I just the idea that he showers himself is just very strange to me. I, he definitely it's has a Harkonnen a man. scenario. It is 100% yeah. a Harkonnen scenario. So he's lowered into and then, and then levitates out of a vat. Ooh, like uh, scars ooh, I like that. I like that visual. <laughs> That's good. Oh, Ed, you are a fabulous guest, and we're going to have you on again to get all super angry Thank about you. tech. But, uh, Ed, plug your shit. So very easy, yeah? You just go to betteroffline.com, and you can find the newsletter and the podcast. And, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ed Zitron, bluesky.zitron.bsky.social. We also, uh, congratulations to Roth and I for not doing phony British accents to a British person. Oh, caught right. Well, I did. See. I did. I did say, "Are you having a laugh, mate?" That's my fault. That is. That sounds more Jamaican than British. I'm sorry. I know. Look, I'm bad at it, Ed. Oh, okay. I want to commend. Also, I want to commend Ed for breaking into a pretty credible Great Plains yokel accent for like five seconds uh, in the middle of the podcast. I thought that was pretty. Accent pretty work is at the heart of what we do here at the Distraction Podcast. Broadcaster, okay. <laughs> Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme songs oh, by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. Subscribe to Vector.com right now. Hit that subscribe button, y'all. You also <laughs> you can also email us. I hit distraction at Vector.com or even call us at 909 726 3720 and leave a message. It's 909 Panera Zero. Wow, I made it through that whole thing. And calling it the best accent work of all time. That is that was a terrific accent. This is why American actors don't do accents. All right. Ed, you were great. Please come on again sometime. Thanks, Ed. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs>